I have uh, one question. Where's Brian? Where is he? Come on, that's how Brian talks. Come on. No jokes for you this week. Okay? I'm going to lower this just a tad. I don't feel... I'm going to sit. Otherwise I won't be able to hold my Bible. What did you put this on with? <laughs> There we go. That was good. That will suffice. There we go. It works. No, it doesn't. There we go. I don't know microphones. Okay, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. If I'm a little loud, forgive me. Forgive me in advance for the slack job I will probably do. There we go. Okay, and as you're at Leviticus 16, put your little uh, Bible ribbon thing there at Psalms chapter 50. good to be back here. I've been in a couple of weeks easy. Um, one, of th- one of the last things that I found out about this week is that it would be done on a microphone. And I would have said no, but it was about two hours ago, so too late. Just kidding. Okay. Anyways, you guys are not in the laughing mood at all, ever. Last time I came, I told like ten jokes, and I got one pity laugh, and that was it. And that right there, from this word, that's another pity laugh, so... Anyways, Leviticus chapter 16, with your ribbon markers at Psalms chapter 50, and if you want for a closing scripture, if you can find some way to hold that page, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. Our main text is strictly Leviticus 16, Psalms 50, and Hebrews 9 are support verses, as well as we will speak about other verses that support our text for this evening. Let's open up in prayer first. Father, we just come before you and we thank you for this wonderful evening, this night that is, the temperature is just so right for this, Lord. It's, it's not too cold, it's not too hot. And Lord, we just pray over your word right now, God, that our hearts will be prepared for it, that our hearts will be ready to be invaded by your word, to be captured by your love, to see you as more beautiful than we ever have, Lord. And God, I just ask that through my mumbling and bumbling around, Lord, that you would speak to every heart here and that every heart would be ready for you. And I pray that you would open minds to your word. Lord, this passage is unfamiliar to many of us, Lord. Forgive us for not diving into your word and learning all of it, Lord. Forgive us for just skipping over passages like this, Father, that we just neglect because we don't see the purpose in it. We don't see why it's important, so we skip over it, Lord. I confess that I have done that many times. Lord, give us the discipline to learn so that we would know you better, Lord. That we would read our Bibles to know you, God. Not just to fill our heads with knowledge, Father, but to know you. Lord, we ask for you to give us grace right now, Lord. Give us much, much grace, Lord, so that we are able to learn. So that our our hearts, which many times wander away from you, would draw back to you right now, Lord. 
that we would be attentive and we would be accepting of your word and your word alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Leviticus chapter 16. Hopefully we will get through the entire chapter. That's right, the entire chapter. Last time when I taught on Exodus 28, we just got through a few verses. I want to get through the entire chapter this time. First section we're going to read is Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. We're going to go ahead and read that, and I'm going to give you some cultural backgrounds on Leviticus. I'm going to give you some background on what Leviticus 16 is all about. Because you may have read this chapter before you came here tonight, and now you're thinking, what in the world is this? Bulls, goats, blood, hand on the head. What are they doing? Why is he wearing that, that turban? What's that about? You know What, what is he talking about? Atonement. I, I don't really get it. So we're going to give some context as to what this is really about and what's going on here. Uh, let's read chapter 16 in Leviticus, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Okay, a couple questions that I need you to be really honest. These are not jokes, just to preface it. These are real questions. I need a show of hands for these questions. How many of you come here week in, week out? I mean, you're here constantly. If it's not, I mean, not every week, but maybe twice a month. Okay, good, good, good. How many of you are signed up for the email list, devotionals, or you read them on the website? Okay, good. That's all the questions I need then. Not, not the majority of you. Um, the reason is for that is because I want to know how updated you are on what Leviticus is all about. Because if I don't give you a background for this, you're going to look at it, and you're going to be staring at me with this look like, uh, I don't know what that's about. I don't know what you're talking about. So I need to give you a background, a cultural setting, because today, in modern-day America, we have motorcycles that are very loud. But we have things that they don't have. They had things that we don't have. They had customs that we did not have. To modern-day Israel, these things in Leviticus that were going on to the Jews at the time was, was normal. This was not foreign to them. To us, slitting a bull's throat or a ram or whatever sacrifice was being made, cutting its throat open, bleeding it out, after we're burning it with fire, would be a little weird to us. I mean, what if tonight I showed up and I said, hey, just to give you a visual of what's going on, I had a bull and I brought it up and whipped out a machete and just went... <laughs> and said, now somebody I need to come up with a you know, little torch, let's burn this thing. And would that seem a little bit weird to you? Would you be a, just a little disturbed? Yeah, 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 I bet you would. Okay, they were not. This was very of the norm. This was not, you know, animal rights time, you know. This was God rights time. This was let's get right with God time. So we got a cultural background. Um, the setting that the Jews were around was of many, many different cultures. It was many different types of people that lived in the nations around them. And these different nations all had their deities and all had their gods and 
and the things that they worshipped, be it an idol they made or the sun or the moon or whatever. But the difference between the God of the Jews and the God of the other nations was this. It's called interdependency. The nations around had something called interdependency with their God and their people, which means this. God was as dependent on them as they were dependent on Him. Where the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible, comes through in Leviticus 16 and shows us we are solely dependent on Him. He is dependent on us for nothing. That's what Psalms chapter 50 is about. That's what we're going to get there. So He is establishing His holiness, which what does holiness mean? Can somebody give me a definition of holiness? No. Without blemish. Without blemish. Okay, anything else? That's good. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. That's good. Anything else? How about set apart? How about pure? How about not of the common? God was not like the common gods that were around. He was holy. He was set apart. You were, how many times do you read in your Bible? Set apart the Lord as holy. 1 Peter 3.15 Set apart Christ the Lord as holy. God was not the same as all these other gods. Therefore, he had his way of dealing with man. In the other religions, if you will, God dealt with man, and then man could deal with God. You read the story in the Bible of the, the statue Dagon? Dagon was set up, and then he would fall. God would knock him over, and they'd have to come and set him back up, and then God would knock him over. Dagon was dependent on man to be set up. When have you ever had to set up God? Never. God is not to be served by human hands. God was not made by human hands. Right? Acts chapter 15. Okay, so let's get into what Leviticus was about. I want to quote Alan Ross here. Leviticus lays the theological foundation for the New Testament teaching about the atoning work of Christ. So the Old Testament is very, very important. A good reading of the Old Testament will help you to understand the New Testament better. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament time after time after time after time. And I bet you most of us can probably count the Old Testament verses we know on both our hands. Maybe we need our toes. You know, we got Genesis 1-1. Well, that's obvious, you know. He quoted Deuteronomy more than he quoted any other book. What other verse do you know in Deuteronomy other than, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one? Anyone know any other verses? Okay, I've got a few. Good. How come Jesus knew this? You know, we're like Jesus. He knew the Old Testament. We don't know it. Just a self-test there. But this will lay the foundation for the New Testament reading of the atonement. You will understand the atonement of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, better and what it accomplished for you if you have a good grasp and understanding of the Old Testament. The point and theme of Leviticus is God is holy. God is holy. And then he shows man how to relate to him. God is not a God that where we can tell him how we want to relate to him. As though common philosophers and common Oprahs would have you believe that Jesus was a prophet who speaks to the God inside of you. That's what she said. God was the God that said, no, I'm God, you're not, here's how you will relate to me. Here's how the foundation is laid. And if you don't do it God's way, guess what? It doesn't work. If you don't go through Christ for salvation, guess what? No salvation. If you don't do it the Lord's way, it just doesn't work. 
about Leviticus 16. Again, I'm going to lean heavily on commentators for this, and it's not going to be necessarily like a message. There may be points where I'm teaching you facts, if you will, and I'm leaning very heavily on some commentators because I am not an Old Testament expert by any means, and the work has been done. Lots of people have laid hours and hours and hours into this to exposit these passages and to teach us so that way we can have a better understanding of the Word. The central idea of Leviticus 16, of this passage, is God's gracious provision to provide complete, complete, mark that word, complete atonement. God made a way to cleanse and sanctify people for every sin and every defilement so that they might retain their relationship with Him. God provided access into His presence in the person of the high priest, the people enter. In the person of the high priest, the people entered into the holy of holies. To us, that might sound strange. Why? Because do you have to go to a pastor or to a priest to to pray? No. You have the great luxury. You and I have the great luxury, the great privilege of just right here, right now, praying. God hears you. You go through the great high priest. You go through Christ, and God hears you. He hears every word that comes out of your mouth. He listens to every word that comes out of your mouth. He answers prayers like Joshua's talking about. It may not always be in yes, but he answers them in, many, in three different ways. It said yes, no, and wait. We may not like the answer, but he does answer it. But we don't have to go through the ceremonial customs, but yet they still have great application for us. Reading about them, learning what the Jews had to go through, why the Messiah was so important, why they were waiting so anxiously for this Messiah. Anyone ever? Anyone here like the smell of bull's blood? No? Well, guess what they had to smell? Bull's blood. Ram's blood. Burning flesh of bull. And it didn't smell like McDonald's. Okay? That's not the only reason. Those are just very, very light reasons. But they had to wait till this one point in the entire year to get this cleansing, to get this purification offering. It's going to say sin offering the majority of the times in your scripture, right? In your Bible? If you, if you pull it from the Hebrew, it's actually a purification offering. There's a, there's a separation between the, the Hebrew word for sin and the Hebrew word for sin offering. It's a purification offering. You're being unsinned, if you will. You're being purified. The sin is being pulled from you. Like Christ has pulled the sin from us, and we have been made righteous and made holy in God's sight if we're in Christ. But let's, let's get into the first five verses as we laid a little bit of a foundation. The Lord spoke to Moses about the death of the two sons of Aaron. Anybody know who the two sons of Aaron were? Nadab and Abihu. Ring a bell. Leviticus chapter 10. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 10. Turn your Bible back a couple pages. And if my Bible sounds a little bit different than yours, I'm reading from the ESV, which is also called the um, OIV, only inspired version. Just kidding. That joke is never old. So anyways, Leviticus chapter 10. Let's start reading. Verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and, and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, or another word is foreign, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. If you read this on, on just a brief reading, what in the world did they get killed for? They put foreign or unauthorized fire with incense on there, and boom! Smoked. Toast. Human barbecue. Gone. Dead. Vamoose. Well, what's going on? What did they do that was so offensive? 
What in the world did they do? Why was that so offensive for Nadab and Abihu? It was so offensive that they would be killed on the spot. Nadab and Abihu were priests. They were the sons of Aaron. There were specific commands given by God on how to do these priestly cleansings, the sin offerings, the purification offering, if you will, the burnt offerings. There were specific regulations on how these were to be done. And the slightest wrong move, if you will, the, the wrongdoing in, the, in these matters could result in the priest's death. And you may think, wow, that's a, that's a harsh penalty right there. Why would God just toast these two? What, what in the world would happen? Why would Nadab and Abihu just be dead? Okay, let's put it in a modern day sense. What if at your church, be it you go to Harvest or wherever, I don't know everybody here, so I don't know, your pastor gets up, and he starts talking about God, and he says, the God of the Bible is the exact same as the God of the Koran. Same guy, you know, not much difference. What would he be doing? Number one, committing heresy. But he would not be honoring or glorifying God. He would be teaching lies about God. He has a specific role and a specific job as a pastor to represent God in the right way. And these priests had a specific task, a specific role that was put upon them to represent God in a right way. God was not common like the gods of all the lands around. He is not to be treated as common. So when they put up that unauthorized fire, when they did that, what they were not instructed to do, they did something contrary. Toast. Now every time someone does something contrary to the glory of God, do they get toast? No, not immediately. But in this case, yes. You ask, is that a harsh penalty? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Because there's not a one of us here who doesn't deserve the exact same thing. But yet we were given a massive amount of grace. A massive amount of mercy. We weren't judged on the spot for our sin. Maybe you've done something you're thinking of that's worse than a little bit of unauthorized fire. But what they were doing, this, this symbolized something to the people of Israel. If the priest could just go in and do whatever he darn well pleased, just, oh, put up whatever fire, he was saying, what God says doesn't matter. Our God's just like the rest of them. You can, you know, our God needs us, so he's not going to smoke me. He won't get anybody else to do this job. Now, that's not what they said in the text. But that could be the implication received. God is to be taken seriously. How does this apply to us? What's the personal application for this verse? How do you represent God to the world? Is he common? Is JC your homeboy? I find it funny that people with PhDs, we call them Dr. So-and-so, you know. Dr. This, Dr. That, or a pastor. We call him Pastor This, Pastor That. But to Jesus, we refer to him as Jesus, my homeboy. Where's the reverence for God? Is there any reverence in your life towards the King? Is there any reverence towards the God of all gods? Do you represent Him as just a common thing? Oh yeah, Jesus. Or is He revered in your household? Is He revered in your heart? When you speak of Jesus, are they real words? Or are they just lip service? When you live, when you go to work, or when you go home, or when you go to school, how do you represent Christ? Is He common? 
Do you just live like he doesn't matter? Do you leave the upper room Bible study and just go home as if you didn't even show up here? Is this a religious duty? Are you here because this will earn you brownie points? Do you go to church on Sunday to earn you brownie points? Well, you know, if I go to church every Sunday, that'll be my little ticket to heaven. You know, I'm doing my good things. No. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. If there's no ethic, if there's no faith behind the good deeds, guess what? They're not good deeds. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith must be the source, must be the, the drive behind any good work you ever do. God is pleased with faithful works, works done in faith. Galatians says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, right? Uh, uh, a look at works, you know, good deeds, bad deeds, whatever. It doesn't matter where you came from. What matters is faith working through love. That's what matters then and that's what matters now. If you keep reading in Leviticus chapter 16, go ahead and turn back there. said, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat is on the, that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear on the cloud over the mercy seat. Chat, uh, verse 3. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These, <clears throat> these are the holy garments. Okay. This is not typical priestly clothing. How odd that the last message I gave here was Exodus 28, the priest's garments. The priest did not normally wear these plain, more simple garments. What this was was a symbol so that when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would be before the mercy seat, which is actually called the chariot throne, more, a more accurate literal translation, the chariot throne of God instead of mercy seat, kind of stands for the same thing. This would be a more plain clothing. When he went before God in all his get-up, if you will, from Exodus 28, go back and read it if you don't remember, if he went through with all the colors and everything, the blue, the purple, the red, what it was was a reminder to the Lord. The Lord would look on him and remember his covenant with, with Israel. And he would remember to be gracious and remember to be merciful. Take that for what it means, not for what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God all of a sudden forgot. Oh, 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 i got to be merciful to these guys. Sorry, he's got the clothes. Okay? It was symbolic, more for the man than what it was for God. So now Aaron has to go in with these this clothing that's not so fabulous. It's just plain. It's just basic. Now what that was was a symbol for Aaron and for the people to remember. Now there, what if there was no covenant? You're solely at the mercy of God. You're completely throwing yourself, head down, hands out, if you will, a sign of submission. You're throwing yourself at the mercy of God. Because God has every right to judge us, but yet doesn't. Those that are in Christ. So Aaron goes in. He's getting ready to make this sacrifice. He goes in in his plain clothing. He goes in ready to just be thrown before the mercy seat of God. How could he even have the guts to do this? Because he knows that God is slow to anger, but a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God of love. God is love, the Bible says. And Aaron knows his God. And he knows he can go into the mercy seat. And he can receive mercy for himself. And he can receive mercy for the people. 
the priestly job was a very important job. The priests had a heavy, heavy burden on them in these days. Now remember, this is not a cultural culture like ours, okay? This was a heavy, heavy-duty thing. This wasn't like the typical Catholic priest you go see at any church, go right over uh, right over there. What is that? Is it St. Mary's or something? I don't know. St. Catherine's? There's a Catholic church there. You go and you see the priest. It's not the same as that. Okay, this is a completely different culture. This is Old Testament theology. It's Paul House that describes it this way. Why must priests be so scrupulous in their observance of God's direction? In other words, why must priests be so, so to the point in God's direction? Why is Yahweh so concerned about the presentation of divine holiness? So why, why is he concerned about this presentation anyway? Two reasons are given here that relate to the priesthood's theological significance. First, in Leviticus 10, 10-11, if you want to reference that, this highlights the priest's role as teachers of God's revelation to people. They are not mere functionaries. They are rather revelatory bridges, just as God revealed these standards to Moses, and Moses in turn relayed them to the priests. So the priests not only are teachers of the Israelites, sorry, so priests are to teach the Israelites the divine commands and how to obey them. Here's why it's so serious. The priests were given the job of teaching the people about God. Okay? So, you got these people, they're, they're writing down scripture, if you will. Okay? The, the Pentateuch, the, the, the law of the Lord. They're writing this down. What if God would have been lenient? Ah, uh, you know what? Go ahead and put that in there. Doesn't really matter, you know. I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't go with the rest of the word. But go ahead and put that in there. We would be all screwed up. We wouldn't know what's going on. Why is this? What's this doing in the Bible? That doesn't seem like God. Why, what? That doesn't match up with what he says about himself over here and what he says about himself over here. That's how the priests were for Israel. They were telling Israel who, what God is like. Who is God? I just spit. I just said that for those of you that saw it, so it's not awkward. But who is, who is God? What is He like? This way, they could properly teach those around them who God is, what God is like. But if they were given false information about God, guess what they were going to give out? False information about God. So if you are a teacher, you've been gifted with the gift of teaching or, or the gift of the, the pastoralship, and you're teaching wrong things about God, or you're street evangelizing... Because I know many of you here do that. So it's great. If you're giving wrong information about God, what are they going to hear and what are they going to give out? Wrong information about God. If you tell someone, this goes for televangelists, anything. Okay, this is a general concept. If you tell someone, hey, pray this prayer and you go to heaven. Or, or like the, uh, the old days they used to do it, you know. They used to really just say, you know, fill out this little card, become a member of our church, and, and, and you're in. We got your back. You're in. Now they really think that's true. Because you're telling them you know God. You're, you're quoting all this scripture to them. You know, you sound like you got it going down. And you're, and you're filling their head with all this crap. Okay? What are they going to go off believing? Exactly what you told them. Tell me that's not scary. Tell me that's not scary if I told someone to fill out this little card and, and then that makes them saved. That's very scary. I could have just sent someone on their way to hell. Tell them all they got to do is lip service. They, you know, they just got to... Well, if, if you repeat these exact words, these words get you in. I, I know. I, no, no. Never. That's exactly what Nadab and Abihu were on the road to. Representing God in an incorrect manner. It's very, very, very important. How many people do you have on TV talking about who God is? 
Oprah Winfrey said this, and I quote, There can't be just one way. There can't be. End quote. There can't be? I'm sorry, Oprah, that's right. You were around at the foundations of the earth. You were around when the earth was created. You know everything. You know what's going on. You should tell me who God is. You should tell me how to get to heaven, Oprah. Because you know what you're talking about. No. But guess what? To the person that believes her, what do they now believe? Oh, well, then my way must work. I got my own little thing with God. I'm cool with God. Me and God are like this. I heard a uh, gay priest from, I can't remember the denomination of the church, talking about how homosexuality was okay. And she said this. She said, I know that I have a great relationship with God. That my relationship with God is fantastic. And that He loves me. And I know that my living state is not wrong. Big statement. Big statement. Problem. What she's saying does not go in accordance with what God has said. Who's God? You? Or Him? Is God God? Or are we God? We're dealt a specific task when representing the King. When we're out here and we're singing praises and we're worshiping the Lord people honk by as the truck did a little bit ago. But no, people walk by and they see this. Hallelujah. Glory be to our great... Uh, I'm not saying I saw that, but if that be the case, how great are they going to think that God is? They're going to think that God can't even capture your heart. When I know good and well He's captured your heart. At church, do you stand? Do you raise your hands? Do you get a little more emotional, if you will? Do you get a little more into it, if you will, with God? It's no different public. It's no different. John chapter 4, Jesus said what? What did he say to the woman at the well? True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. Not in building and in church. Not in Java bliss and at Alberto's. They worship in spirit and truth. It matters not the place. It matters right here. It matters heart and truth. When you got those two together, you have a powerful, powerful force. We're going to move on. We're going to uh, verse 6. Now verse 6 through um, 22 kind of all flow together. So we're not going to read every single verse. For your own benefit, I advise you to read every single verse later on. Just to make sure everything's right. Because why should you believe me? Should you just believe what I say about God? No. You should believe what the Bible says about God. You should believe what God says about God. Not what Jeremy says about God. And I think Josh would agree. Not what Josh says about God. But what the Bible says. What God says about Himself. Would you leave it up to someone else to tell about you? I wouldn't. How well do they like how well do they like me? Do they like me a lot? Maybe I would. They might pump me up a lot, you know, but then they might pump me up too much. Do they hate me? Then they might start lying on me. So I'm gonna go straight to the source. I'm gonna go to God. Or what if someone has a misunderstanding about me? 
I want to know God, I need to go to God. So let's read uh, chapter, uh, verse 6. When I skip to a verse, I'll tell you. Jump ahead to this verse. Verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for, for Azazel. That's the best I can pronounce it, Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat which the, lot, which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Skip ahead. We're going to go all the way to verse 15. Verse 15, still Leviticus 16. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because, <clears throat> because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanness. Go ahead and skip to verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the, all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all, the, all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat, and send it away into the wilderness. By the hand of a man who is in readiness, the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself. I'm going to read that again, because that just sounds crazy when you first read it. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to, re, to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. We're going to go and stop there. We'll read the rest in just a moment. So Aaron is to offer this bull, number one, for himself and for his household. If you're a leader, if you're a leader in the church, you are to examine and fix yourself and your household first. There are strict qualifications for leaders in the church. A man that cannot man can't <clears throat> a man that cannot manage his own home will not be able to manage the household of God. So those of you thinking about going into the pastoral ship, attending Bible college to get biblical training to be a, a Bible teacher or you know, any type of leadership in the church, a deacon, an elder, strict qualifications. Aaron has to humble himself. He has to go and present the sin offering for himself first. What did Jesus say? Before you go to remove the speck in someone else's eye, remove the plank from your own. You hypocrite. That's a scary thing. If Jesus called me a hypocrite, I, I could say my heart would be pretty fast. Okay? doesn't mean you're unsaved. It just means you're a hypocrite. Okay? I don't want to be a hypocrite for Jesus. Afterwards, he takes the two goats, sets them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, casts lots over the goats, one for the Lord, one for him, one for the people, the Azazel. Okay, that's going to be a strange word. We'll talk about what that is in just a moment. Aaron is setting up for the atonement of the people. Okay, one of the themes for this book, for this chapter, is God's graciousness in atoning for complete atonement, for atoning completeness for their sins, to rid every single one of their sins. Past, present, 
future, sins you knew about, sins you didn't know about. Maybe there's a lot of ceremonial cleansings and washing. Maybe you missed one and you didn't know it. Maybe you had hatred in your heart for someone. Maybe you, you thought a bad thought. Whatever was going on for these Israelites, God was making atonement for all of them. For everyone in the camp. God had His special set affection on His people. God goes after His own people and forgives them. That's why the message is so important to share. Because what, is, what does John chapter 3 say? It says, those that aren't believing on Christ still have what remaining on them? The wrath of God. But not His kids. His kids no longer have the wrath. It's been atoned for. And this was a ceremonial way of atoning for it. We're going to jump ahead. He's going, he makes the atonement for himself. He gets the bull. Gets that in there. Gets the goat in there. He's, now he's making atonement for the people. Okay? Verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. Okay? So he had a dead goat and he's got a live goat. He had two when he came in. You had to kill one. That's why you had two. You had to kill one and then he needed one that was alive to do this. Verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all the iniquities of the people of Israel and the transgressions and all their sins. I just want to set my Bible down so I can demonstrate this. Aaron takes both his hands, one for him, one for himself, and one for the people. If you're interested in evangelizing, if you're interested in being in church leadership, if you're interested in having a, a home that glorifies God, in this sense, you need to have one hand over yourself. You need to be honest. You need to confess your sins to the Lord. You need to pray. You need to receive the grace that He freely offers every single day. You need to examine yourself first, and then you need to have your other hand for the people. You need to be praying for the people you're evangelizing to. You need to be praying for the church. You need to be praying for the body. Even right now, you should be praying for me that I don't say something that's out of line with the Word of God. That I don't get caught up in, oh, yeah, yeah, they're feeding off this. This is great. No, 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 no. One hand for you. You should be focused. Lord, open my heart. God, I know I've had sin in my heart. I know, I know, I know, I know I've been living a life that is not holy and set apart. I've been living a common life. I'm just like everyone else. I say, I say the words. I say Jesus is Lord. I say I believe in Jesus, but yet nothing in my life shows it. Zero in my life shows it. Faith works, people. Aaron's faith was working. If you don't think the people of Israel had faith, oh, a lot of people say, oh, the Old Testament's all about works. Look at all these ceremonial things they got to do. Look at all these rituals, these sacrifices they have to do, 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 do to get forgiveness. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. I think it takes a lot of faith to believe that God's going to put all your sins onto a goat through his head. Does that sound a little foreign to you? Does that sound like the gospel you've ever heard? Like, Go touch thy goat with thy hand on its head and your transgressions will be passed onto it. No. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. Their faith was being carried out by their works. As your faith, as my faith is carried out by works, if you don't have any works to show in your life, if you have no love for God in your heart, now I don't mean if you're struggling with sin. Okay, we all fight. A fighter is a lover and a lover is a fighter. 
Okay, I don't mean for those of you that are struggling, you, you're, you're just battling, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're trying to take down this sin, you're, you're just crying out to God to, oh, wretched man that I am, Romans chapter 7, right? You're just, you're just oh, you're fighting so hard to just conquer this area in your life or whatever the sin that is t- entangling you with. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you if you're here, if anyone, if, you're, if no one is here that, that falls under this category, you need to be sharing this with those that are. Because there's a lot of them. A lot. I work with so many. I'll give you an illustration in just a moment. But if you're just saying the words, oh yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Well, guess what? You qualify in the same category as Mitt Romney. You know who Mitt Romney is? He's one of the Republican presidential candidates. They asked him about his being Mormon. He's a Mormon, okay? They asked him, what do you think that will affect you and your presidential running? He said, oh, no, that won't affect me. I'm not about to abandon my church. But I, like many Americans, believe in the Bible. I, like many Americans, believe in God. I, like many Americans, say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I almost fell out of my chair when I heard him say that. I almost said, excuse me, um, sir... What Jesus do you believe in? Well, you don't believe in the Jesus I believe in, so we got a, we got a conflict of interest here. You're not like me. Okay? Same thing for those that say, yeah, I say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. Yeah. Romans 10, 9. Yeah, Jesus is my Lord. Right. Yeah, I'm saved, right? Yeah. Okay? If Jesus is your Lord, can anyone translate for me? What's, what's the word Lord mean? What's a more literal translation for Lord for us nowadays? What? Not quite. Master. There you go. Master. If you have zero obedience for the master, is he really your master? Examine yourself, the Bible says. It doesn't say pray a prayer. It says to examine yourself. Test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Again, let me, I just really want to stress this because when you talk about this, a lot of people who have sinned recently or who are fighting the battle of sin, of faith in sin, they, they go home thinking, oh man, oh, oh, I'm testing myself, but I just keep, I keep failing and I keep sinning. Man, I got news for you. I fail every single day. Maybe that's not news for you. Maybe you already know that. Every Christian on the face of this planet fails every single day. This is not for you that struggle. This is for those that don't struggle. That there is no fight of sin in your life. You're just going through the motions. I go to church. I do whatever. Let me give you a prime example. I work with a guy. I will not say his name just in case. Whatever. But he uh, he tells me he can't work until after 2 o'clock because he's got to go to church. So I say, okay, that's fine. You know, So I work with his schedule and I give him that time off. If there's any fruit I see in his life, it is little. And that's if you call it fruit. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there was a movie out called Borat. Okay? Now, it doesn't doesn't mean you're not saved if you saw Borat. Okay? But this guy was in the back talking about how funny Borat was and how cool it was and this and that. And he was using a few different choice words as he was talking about it. This wasn't a one-time thing. I've heard him over and over and over and over continually representing Christ zero 
showing any fruit of his salvation, but yet he goes to church. Yet he might sing Chris Tomlin songs. I don't know. I don't know what church he goes to. He might pray. I got news for you. Muslims pray. Probably more than a lot of Christians do. Sad to say. But does that make them saved? No. Saved is when Christ captures your heart. Faith is trusting in Christ because the reason you can trust in Him is because you know He is the most faithful. You know He is the deliverer above all. You don't just love the gifts that God gives you. You love God. Paul said this, and it's, it's very very disturbing when I first read it. I almost didn't believe it was in the Bible. I thought somebody wrote it in. Paul said this in the end of, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians, right at the end of 2 Corinthians or 1. It says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Ananthema. If they have no love for God. Not if they have a little bit. Because some of us, man, we, we fight, we hang on, we got our, we got the mustard seed of faith, we got, we just got a little bit of love for God because we've been down and out. Well, guess what? If you got a little bit of faith, a little bit of love, God is going to fan that flame and He's going to ignite it and that flame will burst. So if you're fighting that fight of faith, go to God. Seek the Lord right now. Seek Him in your heart. Even right now as we're talking, I don't care if I start seeing heads bowed, I don't care if I start seeing eyes closed, I don't care if I see you talking, as long as you're not talking to someone else, if you're, if you're reaching out to the Lord and, and, you, and you see Him as more beautiful, as more precious than you do sin, then cry out to Him to fan that flame in your heart. Because this is your time. This is time for you to cry to God. Maybe you haven't cried out to Him, you haven't said anything to Him in a long time. I know what that's like. I've been there. I know exactly what you feel like. Maybe you haven't even picked up your Bible, or every time you do, it's drier than a bone. You just read, and nothing comes off the page. Well, God is good, and God is faithful, and if you cry to Him, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who comes to me, I want no way cast out. All you who are heavy laden, come to me, Christ said, and I will give you rest. Are you heavy laden? Are you weighed down with sin? There's only one medicine that's good enough for you. Only one. That's the saving medicine of Christ. Maybe you're a Christian and you're struggling with depression. The only happiness you will really find, the true happiness you will really find is in God. And I don't care if it's been weeks, if it's been months, if it's been years that you've felt this way keep crying out. You keep reaching out because God is a faithful God and He will deliver you. He will bring you through. There's no doubt in my mind. I say that right now with absolute surety based on the Word of God. Now that we just talked about that, those heavy burdens, how bad do you want to be in the ministry? Because the ministry calls you to be praying over yourself, to be confessing your sin, and to be praying over others, to be caring for the needs of others. I used to want to be a pastor. Really bad. So I started looking into what a pastor actually has to do. Let me tell you, I got a little scared. That's okay. Let me tell you, it frightened me a little bit because you have to care for people. 
You have to have a genuine affection for other people. And sometimes that's hard for me. I think I think if we're real with ourselves, not to be like sandals, <laughs> I think we'll we'll really find out that it's hard to love people at times. It's hard to have a genuine affection because you got problems too, don't you? Well, let me tell you, Aaron had problems. Two of his sons, toast. What was he still doing? Going in and, Lord, forgive me for doubting you for the death of my sons. Lord, forgive me for questioning your graciousness and your mercy. Forgive me, Lord, for neglecting your word. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then as soon as he was done for himself, Lord, have mercy on Johnny. Have mercy on Susie. Lord, I know they they came and they confessed this to me and they've got this issue and they've got that issue and they're struggling with depression. Lord, lift them out of it, would you? Lord, my family is just going through a wreck right now and I've been nothing but angry to them. Forgive me and lift them up. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be a true Christian? Because we Christians are called a holy priesthood in Peter. We have the work of the priest to do now. Not the saving atonement work, okay? That's that's Jesus and Jesus alone. But let's look at, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. Matthew chapter 5. This brings a smile to my face. This is one. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand... And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why does that bring a smile to my face? Because let me tell you, Jeremy's a screw-up. Jeremy messes up all the time. But yet God qualified me. Put a saving love on me through Christ. And He says, You are the light of the world. If if we are the light of the world, what is the rest of the world? What is the world? It's darkness. You must be lighting it up. You must not be representing God in a common manner. You must not live as though God were just... Nah. God's my Sunday. On Sunday I see God. Man, those of you that uh, go to North Carolina, oh my gosh, let me pray for you. That's the Bible Belt over there, un, uh, badly badly titled, if you will, because everybody goes to church. I've been there. I've been in the malls, I've been on the streets, I've been at Wake Forest College, right? Everybody goes to church, but they'll cuss you out at the same time. They don't even want to talk about God if you come up to evangelize them, you come up to talk to them. Yeah, I go to church, I already got that covered, thanks. I mean you got that covered. I thought Jesus had you covered. Let your light shine. Let your good works be seen so that others might glorify God. Almost done. Sorry. Let's continue reading. Then Aaron shall come into the tent. We're in verse 23, sorry. Leviticus 16, 23. 
Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out to <clears throat> and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh, and you got it, their dung, shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. A quick word on what's this Azazel about? What's this goat about? This was the transfer of the sins onto this goat. But is a goat enough to take the complete sins of the world? Is the goat enough to take the sins of every believer? Temporarily, maybe. God did this awesome transfer. And what they do with the goat? They send it away. This is a picture. Okay, this is a picture of what happens now with the atonement. This is why you need to know this. The sin is transferred. It's taken from you onto the goat. Then the goat is sent away into the wilderness. Probably dies. Okay, it just inherited all that sin. Okay, it's probably weighed down with a lot of guilt. You know. Okay, anyways, maybe not. But anyways, presumably most scholars think it goes off and dies. You know, it doesn't say it there. But anyways, what the sin is doing is it's leaving. The sin is no longer seen. When the, when the goat goes off into the wilderness, it's no longer around. No one's looking around going, there's that goat with my adultery on it. There's that goat with my lie on it. There's that goat with my hatred on it. The goat's no longer around. So what does Jesus do with our sin? Sends it away. Washes it clean. Pushes it far, 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 far away. It can't be seen. The only reason it's seen is because you're still trying to find it. If you're in Christ, God's not trying to find your sin. He knows exactly what happened to it. And He knows it well. Jesus has the scars to remember it by. If you're remembering your sins, if you're focusing on your sins, and just beating yourself up over the guilt, not to say you should not have a godly sorrow, because godly sorrow leads to repentance, but an ungodly sorrow, a sorrow that... Oh, no way God could have forgiven that because I told him last time I wouldn't do it and I did it again. There's no way he could forgive me. Yes, Jesus can forgive that. I bring that up because I know that's how a lot of people feel. And if you don't feel that way, I bet you know of somebody who does. The Bible said God remembers your sins no more. So let me ask you a question. If God's not thinking about it, should you be? No. But if you have sin, you need to go to the Lord about it. You need to offer up that confession about it. Because the Lord is going to lift your guilt. It's okay to feel bad about what you did. Okay? That's a good thing. That's a good sign. If you don't feel bad about it, something's wrong in your spirituality. If you, if you just sin and you're like, eh, so what? 
I stole that CD. Who really cares? It's just one CD. You know, the, the stinking, you know, uh, America thrives on money anyway. They got plenty of it. You know, it's not going to hurt that story any, so it's, it's mine. Justify it how you may, but that's not how you get your sins justified in truth. But if you feel bad about it, if you have a penitent heart, if your mind is set on knowing that that is wrong, and you believe it, and you take it to God, and you confess your sin, and you, and you, and you fall down before the Lord, and you just thank Him for loving you, for forgiving you, that's a sign of faith. That's a sign of Christianity. Let's close this off. Verse 29. Let's close it down. And it shall be a statute to you forever, what shall be the day of atonement, that in seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself. Some of your translations might say you shall fast, right? Afflict yourselves is fast. Because if you've ever fasted, it feels like afflicting yourself. You're in pain, man. Your stomach is turning. You're hungry. Or whatever it is you're fasting, you're just you're aching for that thing. Okay? And shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. If you don't have that highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I suggest you do it and you go back to it and you memorize it. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. A Sabbath. We don't do that. We're not Seventh-day Adventists. Well, guess what? You should have a Sabbath type, okay? The Sabbath was made for man, and man, man not for the Sabbath. You got that right. Jesus was right. Okay, but you should have a day of rest, at least one, where you where you meditate on the Lord, where you spend time with Him, and you thank Him for your forgiveness of your sins, and you, you really think about what He did. Sin is ugly. Look on the cross. Look at the blood that poured out. That's why they believe a bull was used for the sin offering, because of the amount of blood that will come out. A bull is big. Why not use a little rodent? Why not just... No, you gotta you gotta slit a bull's throat. You gotta make a bull bleed because blood is going to pour. He's gonna represent the blood that would one day pour, that already has now poured on the cross. Verse thirty two And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make <clears throat> He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Once a year. That's all they got. Once a year, this happened. This reminder of the cross happened once, or of the atonement happened once a year. You have a, you and I, we have a reminder of what Christ has done for us every single day. And I'm not just talking about the sacraments. 
talking about being able to enter the Holy of Holies, enter before God's throne. That quick, easy. You're, you're in. Pray for him. But you have your Sabbath rest easily. If you're in Christ, sins are already done away with. You don't have to wait for this once a year to get your guilt removed. You've been weighing with guilt for months and months and months. Just, oh my gosh, I can't wait for this to go away. Oh, yeah, the seventh month is coming. Just daily. I had to turn. I had to go to Psalm 50 for a reason. Hebrews 9, we're not going to make it to. I ran out of time, so I skipped it. Read Hebrews 9 if you want further information. Verses, I think it's 6 through 12. But Psalms chapter 50, starting in verse 7, I'm just going to read some verses. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of, all, of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Does that sound familiar, like we just read it? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God is once again proclaiming that He is not common like other gods. That He is not to be proclaimed as common. As, as just this thing. As just this part of your Sunday life. The bulls and goats, He doesn't need them. He doesn't need your sacrifices. He doesn't need you to do a darn thing for Him. He has no need of that. But what does He desire? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Live the life holy and set apart. Live the relationship that you have. If you don't have the relationship, start having it. Spend time with Jesus every day. I guarantee you, maybe not in the way you're thinking, but I guarantee you that your life will be better and will have more worth and more value to it every day you spend with Christ than opposed to every day you don't spend with Him. You will see life in a different perspective. You'll see what to do with your money differently, what to do with your time differently, what to do with your friends differently. And it will be in a more meaningful way. That's what Everybody talks about what's fun. Let's have fun. We live in a culture hyped on entertainment. What's fun? What's fun? I got a party. I got to do this. I got to do that. What about what's meaningful? What about when things hurt? Is it fun that makes you feel better? What about when travesty hits? Is it fun that you lean on? No, you don't lean on fun while you're crying your eyes out, while your heart is feeling like it's ripped in two. What happened to what's meaningful? What happened to wrapping your arm around someone? What happened to lifting them up, spending time with them? What happened to that? It's not easy, but man, is it meaningful. Is it valuable? It's great. So don't go away tonight. Again, I want to separate that. That's the last thing I'm going to say. Don't go away tonight thinking, oh man, I don't know if I'm saying No, 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 no. 
Let me qualify that again. If you're fighting the fight of faith, that shows salvation. Romans 8 specifies that, spe- I mean, gives it specifically. Those who fight are in the faith. Because if you're not in the faith, you're not fighting. Get the sword out, the sword of the Spirit. Get your word out and just start giving it to the sin. Give it to the flesh. And rejoice. Give to God an offering of thanksgiving tonight. Don't be bummed. Go away knowing that the victory is yours because Christ has granted it to you. But if you know someone who's, who's not saved, you know someone who's not fighting, they're just living the sinful life, have a word with them. Have a meaningful word with them. Show them love and show them compassion. Show them the mercy and the grace of God. And let God do it. Amen? Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for this night. God, again, I just ask that you would let your words fall into people's ears and hearts. That my words would not even be heard. And I just pray, Lord, that if I was unclear in something or maybe something I said was not true, Lord, just not in accordance with your word, I pray that you would override that, Lord, and you would go into their hearts and stir in them your truth. Lord, I pray that we would all follow you faithfully with our hearts, Lord. We would live a life that's pleasing to you, King. Lord, that is the life that is most satisfied, God, the life that is lived in you. I pray if there is anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. God, I pray for anyone here, Lord, that has family members or friends that are unbelievers, God, that you would help these here to let their lights shine, that the others would turn and glorify you because they see those good deeds. They would see the love in their eyes. Lord, I pray that you would give them words to speak. Lord, you would open their mouths to them. You would let them live out their lives. You would let them build the relationship with them they need to build in order for them to come to know you. Lord, just let your spirit fall on us afresh tonight. As we go from here, let us be deeply in love with you. Lord, we just pray with, uh, along with concordance with your word, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief, Lord. Strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, dude. It was awesome. Wasn't that great? I just feel a real call in our hearts, or my heart, and just to be truly be living a life that's set apart, you know? A life called the holiness and just living for God in such a way that people sincerely look at us and say, what the heck is going on? In your workplace, in your family, gosh. It is something that hit my heart just real quick. If you're having a hard time finding motivation to live a life like that, you got to go to the cross. You need to go and study and see what God has done for you. You need to dig into the Word. And you need to spend time in prayer talking to Jesus about what He has done for you. Ask Him, Lord, I don't know. I can't see clearly. My heart has become stale to it. I've been going to church for a long time and I'm not motivated to live a holy life for you. I'm not motivated to make a stand for you in my workplace or at my home or with my friends. 
All we do is joke around and hang out. We don't talk Jesus. I want to do that. You need to dive into the Word. You need to spend time with Jesus, your King, tonight. As you walk away from this place, before you go to bed, crack open the Word. Start studying again. That word atonement in the Old Testament is kapora. It means covered. And do you know those people, their sin was only covered, and I bet you they celebrated on that Day of Atonement like, Yes! It's covered. We were okay. We're good for a year. You know, we're, we're, it, last year's behind us. Everything's cool now with our king, with our God. Yes, celebration party. We are ready to start living. We got a new slate. We're excited, motivated, excited to live for God. But the word that has been given to us is cleansed. White as snow. Brand spanking new every time. Clean slate, not covered. Not covered where it needs to be covered again. No, no, no. Completely washed away. If you've messed up this week, forgiven. Forgiven, forget about it. It's forgiven, forget about it, and start living for Jesus. We have a great God, don't we, guys? Man. Command your soul to live for Him. Talk to your flesh and tell it what's up. No more. No more will you not serve this God. He is too good and too awesome. He is so worthy of it. Start telling your mind. That's why fasting is so important. That's why prayer is so important. You must afflict yourself and let yourself know what it needs to be doing. Because if you let yourself do whatever it's going to do tomorrow, it's just going to do it. You know. I know too. So let's take those words that Jeremy's spoken to us. Don't let it fall in deaf ears. Family, I believe in you guys. I know you can be an army that can make a difference in this city, in wherever you're at, in your church. Everybody's a Christian, same old, same old. I'm tired of that. I want to see alive Jesus stuff. There's a difference between the man who serves Jesus and the man who goes to church. It's night and day. And you know who that is, and you can look into their eyes and you know, is that you? Do you want that? Let's strive to that. Let's make this stand in this night. Make this decision in our hearts right now. Amen? Let me pray one more time. Father, we are deciding in our hearts, those of us here who want to make that decision, me, Jesus, that we want to live for you. Cleanse us, King, of all unrighteousness and give us that motivation we need, that push in the right direction, living lives set apart for you. Living lives that people can see and are blown away by, not because they can say, wow, look at us, but so they'll look at you. They will ask us what it is, and we will testify that it is you working in us. It has nothing to do with us. We're wicked. But you, King, have been so gracious to us and loving that you would do good deeds in us and work through us to minister to others to be holy and set apart and so God we desire that so we can be giant billboards that glorify you that people will look and bow on their face because of the holiness they see because of the dedication Lord that we would be Joseph's and Daniel's Lord ministering unto you in our prayer time throughout the day and that you would raise us above the nations Lord exalt us not for ourselves 
but so that people will see you, Jesus. So they will see how awesome and wonderful you are and that Lord, the President, or Lord, that the, the, the Congressman will stand up and say that we will serve this man's God. Whoever this man serves because of his faithfulness and his holiness, this woman, we will serve their God because they are awesome. Because they bow before the living and true God. We can testify that because of the way they live. Father, that's what we desire. Make us those people. We are your disciples making decisions in this moment to live for you. Here we are. If there's anything else you need to let us know, we offer ourselves on the altar the best way that we can. This is the least we can give. Is our lives. Thank you for what you've done, King. We love you. Be with us tonight. In your name, amen. Amen? I love you guys. Experience Jesus. Religion sucks. Experience Jesus. Amen?